0: You're listening to episode 156 of Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast. In this broadcast, the faculty of Mid-America discuss theology and cultural issues from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchibor, Director of Marketing. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, Reverend Compton and Dr. Strange examine the gospel for a post-Roe society, taking some time now to explore what scripture says about abortion.
1: Well, welcome back. It's good to be uh, discussing uh, this important topic uh, with my colleague Alan Strange, and of course, uh, Jared Luchabor is, as always, hanging out with us and ensuring that these roundtable podcasts uh, turn out as good as they do. Last time, if you remember, uh, Alan gave kind of a overview of abortion in America, the United States of America, since. Uh, since Roe. What we wanted to do today in this episode is move into Scripture. How is it that we think about these topics as Christians, right? We're not necessarily proposing policy decisions, but what are the kinds of things that we believe from God's Word that will inform the kinds of things we deem to be uh, valid policy decisions? decisions, either in our voting or in our community service, if we're involved in pregnancy centers and whatnot. Now, when we get to God's Word, um, many people have pointed out that there is no explicit mention of abortion in the Bible. There's no explicit uh, forbidding of abortion, although there is an explicit forbidding of murder, and just because other specific kinds of murder are not listed, that doesn't uh, somehow mean that they're okay, right? I uh, Great line again from John Frame. He says, you know, the Bible does not say uh, thou shalt not steal a seminary professor's wallet, or you shall not take a seminary professor's wallet without their permission. Uh, but it, in saying thou shalt not steal, it means you can't take a seminary professor's wallet without asking their permission. Am and I right, we Alan? We
2: strongly affirm that.
1: Yeah, I was going to say,
2: don't take my wallet. Yeah, would the person who did please return it? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, anyway, this uh, it's important to keep that in mind, right? Now, how does the Bible speak to this? I've mentioned one. It does speak to this via the Sixth Commandment. Now, we have to establish, of course, that the child in the womb is indeed a person, uh, is indeed a human, and the Sixth Commandment is applicable in that case. But that's the other prong, I think, in this whole discussion, is that Scripture does present uh, babies in utero as persons. Deserving of having their life protected, of course, that's the big debate in society. Are these persons or are these clumps of cells? There's some really wonderful apologetics resources on some of this, but let's at least take a look at some of the passages, uh, and I'll be highlighting Old Testament ones for obvious reasons that's what I do around here is Old Testament, but a number of passages that that help us think through uh, the way in which um, God's Word speaks to uh, human life. Of course, a classic one we uh, turn to is Psalm 139. Psalm uh, 139, verses 13 to 16 in particular. Um, Here I should pull that open and read it. It's a psalm that uh, our listeners will be very familiar with, most likely, because it is one of these very uh, beloved psalms. But verse 13, "'For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb.'" I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet they were not one of them." What's so striking about this, yes, it's very poetic. You have this language of being skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, right? It's He's not suggesting that babies grow underground like, uh, what is it, in Lord of the Rings? Don't they grow those creatures underground in the movies? Uh, I think that's an an embellishment on Tolkien that was kind of unwarranted. But anyway, you know, but there's this poetic language. But at the same time, you know, look what we have here. We have David aware of the fact that, God knew him, David, when he was in his mother's womb. and he was he was at work forming David. And the David who's now writing about this fetus that was in the womb, believes that he was that David. He was that that child. And so, uh, there's that element of it. There's also the 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 overarching understanding that God had a purpose for this child even before he had lived a single day. This, this God's will for that child began in eternity past. So again, a really key passage that starts to get us thinking about how babies uh, in the womb are, are in fact conceived as humans. Now, if this were a one-off passage, um, one might try to simply dismiss it as being poetic. Well, here is sort of one of these poetical techniques, describing David is describing his pre-personal life as though it were personal. Right? Scripture does these techniques, like it'll use an, what's called an apostrophe, not the punctuation mark, but the the technique of uh, of a, of addressing um, inanimate creatures as though they were animate. You know, uh, rise up, ye gates. You know, what, I, you know, if, if if I went out and start talking to a gate or to a tree telling it to rejoice then you'd probably have me locked up but in the poetic idiom it's a very appropriate thing to do it adds vividness to it the thing is though there's a number of passages that speak of the unborn as persons in a variety of ways and maybe i can just give a few of these and of course chime in if if you uh, if you have any others that that i've missed but uh, think of, of Psalm 51, for example. Psalm 51, verse 5 in particular. David here is talking about how he was conceived uh, in sin, and, and his sin even goes all the way back to his conception, that David, the same David writing, again, there's that continuity of person, he's saying, no, I was the sinful David even while I was still growing in my mother's womb, even be, before I even uh, knew the beginnings of 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 what sin was. I was still sinful, just as the David after his birth is. Here again, David seems to recognize this continuity. I'm um, you know, Hosea twelve verse three is a, a fascinating uh, little reference, and what's interesting about it is how uh, it's how it's drawing on the story of Jacob and Esau's birth, where Hosea twelve. I'll start with them. Um, I'll start with verse 1, Hosea 12. Ephraim feeds on wind and pursues the east wind continually. He multiplies lies and violence. Moreover, he makes a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord also has a dispute with Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his maturity, he contended with God goes on to say, yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He found him at Bethel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
2: But the the point being, look how... proclaiming a continuity between
1: uh, the Jacob in utero Who grabbed his brother's heel. Out, right. Was doing something analogous to what he did later when he wrestled with the angel. And also then invoking that uh, broadly into why they're being punished.
2: So this wasn't some sort of clump of cells that became a person. Right. He was a person. And let me just jump in here Mm -hmm. to say it is only the case uh, particularly, and this was really uh, began to be pointed out in in a very marked way by C. Everett Koop, who was the Surgeon General under Ronald Reagan, and he and Reagan wrote about this, but that uh, the advance in terms of medical techniques provided more and more evidence. The Bible Mm. tells us this, but the truth is what's happened in the last 40 years especially has only proven more and more that life in utero is indeed human life, so much so that a variety of arguments uh, that have been supportive of the uh of abortion rights supportive of Roe v. Wade have really abandoned the attempt to say this is not life in any sense uh and in fact uh there has been developed uh by the national uh abortion Right League a whole hideous argument that just as you have the right to um put to death even, an intruder into your home. This is a serious legal argument they've made. Just as you have a right to put to death someone who is intruding into your home without your permission and contrary to your desires, threatening you, that an unwanted child threatens the mother and that family, and they have a right to deal as you might with an intruder in the home. And so, but they're conceding the, that that they're that they're humans. And we and the the understanding is in some measure, it's historically been, if you concede people are human, you have to treat them in a certain way. For example, uh you are probably familiar with the WANCE conference that uh Heydrich and others held at Hitler's behest where they were told, and they did bring about the whole legal process of declaring Jews to be non-persons. Yeah. So they then could begin the horrific thing they call the final solution in which they begin the systematic slaughter yeah. of Jews. Yeah. But they first define them as non-persons. And that's, that's, I think, a particularly wicked testimony on the part of, of virulent abortion activists, that they're even willing to sacrifice what they regard to be as a person somewhat like uh, Israel in the fires of Moloch and playing the drums and the flute to cover up the cries. Um, I I had to get Moloch in there because I think there is an
1: analogy there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting too. I'm kind of shooting from the hip here, which is always dangerous. No pun intended, because I was speaking to that shooting of an intruder. It's ironic that they're appealing to that, because the because there are actual rights for intruders. You're not allowed to just uh, kill somebody coming into your house. In certain states, I think some states have these uh, castle doctrines or sand your ground w- whether laws. Whether it's but day or some... night,
2: that you know, and and the scripture t- addresses this. Mm-hmm. You can't simply someone on your property unbidden can't simply be killed right there there are there are other matters that go there because life is so
1: precious in california even i i don't know if the law is still this way but you had a responsibility if you drew your gun on an intruder you had a responsibility to retreat as far as possible before you shot them now i don't know how many da's would actually bring charges against somebody you know and and trace their steps through the house but the point was the intruder was recognized as having personal rights. <laughs> that and, and so it's kind of ironic right. to bring it up. Well, and with in the some cases, ca- cases, dangerous when, cases would
2: be brought and you would have to make the case of self-defense. In sure. other words, charges can still be brought in any given murder, even mm-hmm. though your argument may be self-defense, which you're able to persuade a jury of, but they have to look at the case here. And mm-hmm. let me just say this about person because it's interesting, you know, before the Christian faith in the Greco-Roman world mm-hmm. and we could go back into the ancient Near Eastern world, yeah, right? There wasn't the clear kind of idea of person that there comes to be as it develops in the doctrine of God in the 4th and 5th centuries particularly AD in the Christian church in the discussions about theology proper and also Christ as God come in the flesh. So it's the discussions about each of the persons of the Godhead where we get the notion that men and women aren't simply individuals. The Romans understood them to be individuals, but Folks, they had blood sports. It -hmm. was brutal in those days. They would expose infants and let them die that they didn't want. And Christians were known for going and rescuing them. And the Didache, of course, said Mm -hmm. that you're not to put them to death. I mean, this was a sensibility that Christians had early on. But what the Christians developed was this notion of personhood, because if God is a person and we're made in the image of God, if God is three persons in one essence and we're made in the image of God, we bear personality and personhood. And this has far greater implications. I mean, your dog and cat are individuals, but I don't want me to insult any of our listeners who really are fond of their pets i understand that but they're not people too i know we say cats are people say cats are people too actually they're not they may seem to be but only man male and female right is made in the image of god and that's what we're that's what dr compton yeah. has been talking about these are those made in the image of god those in the womb are in the image of god yeah. and it's wrong
1: that they should their lives should be ended It is interesting that some people will respond and say, "Well, but it's not clear at what precise moment the 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 child in the womb becomes a child in the womb." Is it at the moment of conception? That's traditionally what we've what we've argued theologically and biblically. But I mean, there there were those who said
2: quickening. Of course, that was a mm -hmm. big discussion over the years. Sure.
1: What's interesting though is I think we can even appeal. To Scripture, in spite of that unknown, uh, there, there's this idea. Again, John Frame calls this the doctrine of carefulness. Um, you know, he gives some funny examples. If he's out, uh, he talks about he was out hunting with a colleague, and uh, and if he heard some bushes rumble, a rash rattle, you know what I'm saying? What yeah. word I'm trying to say? Rustle,
2: rustle in the bushes. Yeah,
1: he said, you know, should I just shoot it? Well, no. Because it could be his colleague. right. We you don't have to be careful. We don't want to do laws. right.
2: We don't want to do the Dick Cheney thing just yeah. shooting <laughs>
1: just Well and think of how Scripture does this. Deuteronomy talks about these ox goring laws. Right. you know where you're, you're not allowed to just let your goring ox run around the countryside. If you're swinging an axe head in Deuteronomy 195, uh, you need to make sure it's on nice and tight. Uh, and if you refuse to make sure your axe is safe, you're going to get in big trouble. Well, you know, we have the same kind of thing at right. work here. Even if, even if we want to grant uncertainty about what point uh, the the new uh, the new zygote uh, becomes a a person, this has to be involved here because there's it's not clear that it hasn't become a person right. immediately. At we conception. have to
2: act responsibly. What. Another way of putting it, what you're saying is, and if this is reflected in Western law. Western law reflects that murder is not only premeditated. It's also in the act of what's called the heat of blood when someone mm. is angry. But it's not just that. If you're negligent, yeah. it's not murder in the first degree, but it's something that is answerable at law. And what has happened in recent decades in the aftermath of Roe v. Wade was there's no answerability whatsoever. You can end this life, and there's not even the answerability that you would get if your vehicle went out of your control and hurt someone, but it could be shown that you didn't take ordinary care of your vehicle uh never i'm not even talking reckless driving you you knew there was a problem with the brakes Mm -hmm. but you weren't intending to hurt somebody but there was a problem with the brakes it can be demonstrated by some conversations and other things and you had a responsibility to fix that and Mm -hmm. you didn't i mean if those kinds of things are recognized at law as something that should be punished taking the life of an infant means
1: nothing yeah no tremendous uh Tremendous inconsistencies by many who are going this route, and I mean, we could spend uh, we could spend a whole other episode talking about other elements here. There's passages we didn't we didn't mention, uh, and there's more more to discuss. But well, let's I talk about that next time. Well, I was just going to say, I think what we've at least presented is a the the big picture of where this pro life ethic and pro life conviction uh, is found in Scripture and where it's grounded.
0: Next time, Reverend Compton and Dr. Alan Strange will dig a little deeper, pardon the archaeology pun, into what the ancient Near East, particularly ancient Israel, thought about abortion and infanticide in general, and what legislation was in place at that time to protect the lives of the unborn. For more podcast episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu podcast and wherever you listen to your favorite shows, search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor, Till next time.